I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts, this is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello, and welcome to this first online edition of Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Our guests today are two people who, between them, fulfil the roles of actor, producer, director and fashion designer. Sadie Frost was born in 1966 to a psychedelic artist father and a mother who was part muse, part creative powerhouse. An eventful upbringing resulted in a series of interesting character roles in 1980s and 1990s cinema particularly, and although perhaps better known in the popular media as part of the glamorous, hard-partying Primrose Hill set of the 90s and noughties, and as the wife both of Spandau Ballet's Gary Kemp and, perhaps more prominently, Jude Law, this sadly obscures a huge reservoir of creative talent, ranging not only from her memorable performances on film, through a period as a highly respected fashion designer, but also her work now as the champion of vibrant new cinematic talent as head of independent production company Blonde to Black Productions. Amongst their work is Set the Thames on Fire, a dystopian black comedy set in a flooded London, co-starring a cavalcade of quirky talent, from Noel Fielding and Sally Phillips, through to the subject of our first Live In Conversation event, the queer cabaret legend David Hoyle. Sadie is joined by Ben Charles Edwards, who directed that film, and has been a regular collaborator with her on a variety of work, leading up to Set the Thames on Fire. Born in Woking, he has moved fluidly through the worlds of fashion and photography to become a deeply exciting voice on the indie cinema scene. When they spoke to me recently during a break from working on post-production on Sadie's directorial debut, a documentary about 60s fashion icon Mary Quant, I started by asking them about the presence of the arts in their childhoods. Sadie, you were born into a setting where art played a major role. Uh, ben, I don't know, do you, you come from a similar sort of background? Or? No, my grandfather was a pharmacist and uh, no, family in business really. I, in fact, my grandfather was a good painter and drawer, but that's about it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely grew up. My mum was um, on the stage and was a dancer and an actress. And then when I was growing up, she was like a, 
always in these films and she had a theatre company and my dad was an artist and so I, I, I lived a very bohemian creative lifestyle which was good but the, the interesting thing about this industry is you do need you need obviously a lot of creatives but then someone like Ben is actually you know he's a creative but then you can see that he has got a kind of um, structured kind of business mind as well he's very formulated in the way he thinks whereas coming from a really kind of um bohemian, bohemian you know is i found it so hard to to kind of uh to structure things i mean even though i'm a producer and i and i've raised money and i've you know businesswoman you know that whole side was a real headache for me but you mm. kind of take to it quite Quite nice yeah, really. and you know, it's actually quite a good question to start off with, Paddy, because obviously Sadie and I's relationship has started and developed over the course of her producing very early work for me. And it's only recently that, in fact, we've kind of swapped roles and I've produced Sadie's debut movie, which is a documentary on Mary Quant. And within all of our years of friendship, um, to watch her go into that purely creative role she's like forget this I'm nothing to do with production I'm just going to direct mm. she actually seemed to fall into that better I yeah I mean it is really interesting because you kind of start out your kind of career doing one thing and and you build relationships with people and me and Ben have been working together for like how many years definitely over 10 yeah 11, and 12. you know so I've acted in things I've produced things and then he's produced things now I'm directing and then we're working together on an, his next feature where I'm going to act. And, and it's nice how things kind of, you know, um, kind of change and um, evolve. Yeah, and we never set out to be like, we want to do this. Yeah. You know, it was it was a friendship and it, we just kind of make stuff as and when it feels fun. And well, it's nice along. for it to be organic and, and to evolve and, and to be passionate about the project. And I think... For me, like I, when I started being a producer and setting up my own company, I wanted to kind of represent new filmmakers, new writers, new directors, and that's what I wanted to do, and that's why I worked with Ben. But then I kind of realized that I'd got myself into something that really wasn't my territory and something that made me <clears throat> deeply unhappy in the sense that I was just a money person. I was like knocking on the door, begging for money, trying to finance projects, really worried about, because I'm a real you know, I, the money side of things, I like things to be really orderly. And the, and mm. the things with producing is you're kind of, you're, 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 you're constantly playing catch up, playing catch up and gambling and, and just like begging. And um, so now to kind of go back to, you know, it feels like I literally had to do that, get on my knees and beg people for money to yeah. finish films and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, so now going back and directing, it's just like such a breath of fresh air. I can just be creative and someone else can be worried about the, the money side of it and the organization and I can you know I've also been um, recently um, because of lockdown I've been asked to do um, take photographs of like for a cover of a magazine for of somebody for um, a, camp, a fashion campaign so I'm being given creative opportunities I never would have got before and then the, the funny thing um, about this Mary Quant project with Ben producing it and me um, directing it is we sometimes did forget our role. So I'd be in a meeting and I'd be talking yeah, about yeah. getting really involved in the budgets and how's this going to work and how's that going to work. And then there was a couple of times when we were on set and Ben shouted cut. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to shout cut. And he goes, oh, sorry, I forgot, I forgot. <laughs> so there's been a lot of like, you know, and, and we're very fun and playful with each other with the kind of comings and goings of mm. our working relationship. And, you know, I feel quite protective of him. And if anyone comes and steals him, I get quite kind of like, you know, we've got, we've built, you know, it doesn't take, 
it, you can't just like have a working relationship that starts and is good in five minutes or it you takes, know, a takes a long time. Takes a long time and trust because also this industry is can be incredibly negative and people can really kind mm. of um, you know the loyalty you know isn't always there and people you know. Yeah. Kind of do things that they it is, it is a tricky thing and yeah. I think it was the fact that it was always organic you know I, I don't even know how many films we've made mm. I really I really don't know we started off with funny little shorts and the budgets got bigger then I was shooting commercials that Sadie was in and popped in I shot a gin commercial a few years ago Sadie happened to be in the area where the studio was that we're filming and ended up in the commercial mm. there's always been this kind of open door where we've just kind of created stuff some of it's worked really well some of it's been a lesson um but you know we've always we've always done it for the right reasons and it's always been mm. a very natural and also natural thing. and exciting and and, and yeah. you feel like you some you know you've got to spend a lot of time with people you know if you're if you're developing a film or writing a film or shooting a film so you've got to like their company it's like i always say to people it's like raising a small child it's a commitment you know it's three years of your mm -hmm. life and you've got to really love that project, believe in that project, and like the people you're working with. So yeah. I might like a project, but then I'm thinking, could I sit in that room with somebody for nearly three years? And if I can't, and if I can't sit with somebody for a good few hours, I'm thinking, no, I don't want to do I think that. that's a really good metaphor, the yeah. whole family thing. Because I, I think it's a bit like when you've got a kid that perhaps hits its, its coming of age years, and you realise you don't particularly like it very much. Well, tough, you're in it. You yeah. to see it through. <laughs> I know. <laughs> come out the other end at some point, but see it through. I think, I mean, just staying with the work that you've, you've collaborated on together, obviously your, your collaboration first came to my attention via David um, when he was working on Set the Tabs on Fire. We've known each other for quite a long time. And, and, and re-watching it, before I, I did the event with him in February, I was struck by, I suppose, how prophetic it now seems uh, in terms of not only the sort of the environmental side of it, but the sort of the toxicity of people who can rise to the top and, and the bravery that it takes to fight back or to, or to leave. And was, did you feel when you were creating it that this might be something that would have no, another I mean, sheen to it a bit? Sense of, um obnoxious filmmaking but I mean you know there, there is that film is like a seed and it was a very raw mm -hmm. a raw creative idea and some would even argue that it's not even finished smoothly but Sadie and I embarked on making our first feature films together and Sadie went knock yourself out do it mm -hmm. if that feels great do it and it's so rare that as a director with Sadie producing that one how often does a first time features director get the opportunity to go do what you want <laughs> see what happens mm. so for that reason it was such a plethora of ideas and 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 um and ideas you know ideas and creative avenues thrown into one movie that it inspires and people find something in that film to connect to and i've watched over the six, five years since it's been out a steady base of people growing you know i get emails more regularly every month about that film than i did when it had press and release behind it um, including fan art, it does inspire people. And I think you're right that within a world that we live in now, you know, we can all be cynical and say things are going to hell. Um, but we also have to be aware of it as much as, you know, George Orwell's 1984 feels so, so, uh, so relevant mm -hmm. now. You know, I think we always look for connections in everything. 
I love the rawness of it. I mean, that's kind of what I, I, I enjoy about filmmaking. I love European films and I love kind of independent films and films that just, you know, people just get up and do things. And, and, and I think it's, it's incredibly ambitious, but for me, it really um, says something and the performance, you know, the kind of the humor, but the darkness, and it is, it is the film that I always thought it was going to be. It's not like sometimes you make a film and it doesn't turn out how you want it to be. But for me, it really just kind of had such individual kind of, you know, the whole thing and, and making it for that kind of money. Mm. And it really is kind of poignant for now. Um, I think it is definitely relevant. We should, um, I think we're just about to negotiate a deal a that platform. is a new platform yeah. because I think people really need to see it. And I think we need to do definitely do a push um, get it, get it, like, people mm. aware of it to, to yeah. have a look at it now. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a really interesting point, Paddy. It does resonate now more than ever. And I think Al, a good friend of Sadie and I, who wrote it, he's such a cynical, miserable guy. <laughs> he's such a brilliant guy. Um, because he's a true artist and he mm. does look at the world and he can see the cracks in it. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, the opening line where it says, um, you know, stay in London like, over the tannoys. Happiness is going down with the ship. It's like grin and bear it. Yeah. The rain is coming. And that's quite typically British as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Suck it up. Um, yeah. well, the, 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 you've talked, Sadie, and you mentioned about um, European cinema, and, and, and Ben, your work has been described as owing something to sort of a European almost cabaret aesthetic, but also something mm -hmm. very quintessentially British about the eccentricities that you portraying that obviously the specifics vary by project but but what within your work is it that what, what do you most enjoy exploring within your work I mean I've always um just said I like telling stories that often other people just don't don't want to tell or or, or stories mm. of about people on the edges of society so my next film is um uh, set in the uh, Hijra community in Mumbai in in Hindi and then I've got a film in um, uh, Durban about the street kids that's going to be filmed in um, Zulu and I've been um, developing that for three years with um, a young boy that I actually kind of fostered and put through school um, to be a filmmaker and then he couldn't kind of get a job because obviously he still even though he was um, had all the training it was still very hard for him to get get a job in, in the industry so I just see something that's very personal for me and I want to say something mm -hmm. and express it. And the, so with Ben's film, and then we did a film in America before called Buttercup Bill, and then Two for Joy was about mental health issues. And then after that, so The Parcel is one in India, and then um, Innocent is the one in Durban. And then I've got a film called Live Forever, which is about how women were kind of marginalized in the 90s. So it's just telling sort of like things that are in me that I want to express and then, my You've hope. been quite fearless with it as well. Yeah. I've never remembered a point where you go, oh, maybe we shouldn't explore that. Maybe we should be yeah. a bit safer. You've always just gone to do it and see. Exactly. And I, and I kind of feel like I, these things, are, I, I would have hopefully said the things I want to say. And then I'm going to, I I'm kind of would like to just like, maybe just do a bit more directing and, mm -hmm. and let other people just take on the responsibility of that. Yeah. Because it is, is, it is exhausting. And I like to just enjoy the simple things as I get older. Yeah. yeah that, that I want to just kind of express that and then hopefully I'll I won't be having that need to because yeah. I've been in this industry for such a long time since you know acting when I was a kid but I mean what kind of films you I mean you've got a new film that you've just been mm. co-writing and you're going to direct this year it's an interesting question because I think as a as a filmmaker I think I just 
I think there's a point when I certainly just wanted to create something for reaction, see mm. how people react to what I'm feeling. And, um, and that's why the early stuff was so raw and bizarre and, and an odd, um, because it did get a reaction and that's probably what I wanted. Mm. And that's important. Why create something if people aren't gonna feel something? So of course you want to test the boundaries quite early on. Um, mm. And then hopefully the, the uh, skill of telling a good story simply that appeals is obviously why we make film. You don't make a film by committee and you certainly don't make it to have always the broadest appeal. You make it because that's how you feel and that's how you hope to either inspire other people to get people thinking. And it doesn't always have to be worn on its sleeve. Set the Thames is not worn on its sleeve. It's watch it and there's some things in there that Sadie and I felt very strongly about. Mm. Yeah, do, um, you know, that end... That end line that Sally Phillips says at the end of Set the Thames on Fire when the impresario, out of anger, rips his own throat out. I actually posted again on Instagram a few days ago that line, which was, um, power so rotten and ripe to burst eventually rips itself apart. Mm. And that is pretty prevalent now within parts of the world. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, they're raw ideas that, that you want to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you touched on, on two for joy there, and um, I think even on a, as an event of that when when um, when I did the, the the one of these in February with David, we we both spoke about how how he and I bonded over the fact that we'd um, both sort of uh, gay performance artist. Well, he's performance artist, I'm more of a director and, and just standard actor, but we'd we'd been very open in our work about um, issues surrounding mental health. And um, do you think there's a, a link between creativity and the propensity towards a slightly unsettled mental health. How do you, how do you keep an eye on your own mental health as artists? Um, well, I think if you've experienced certain things and you've, or you've grown up with, you know, certain things, then of course you're going to be aware of it. And, and your whole thing is to kind of find some kind of peace within it. And, you know, everyone goes through whatever journey they go through. And if, you know, I grew up with, my father was a manic depressive and a schizophrenic and a, you know, was, in, was sectioned and a lot of my family have got schizophrenia. And it was like on my, always in my, in, in me that, you know, something could be wrong with mm-hmm. me and because of, of this genetic thing. And so that I definitely struggled with anxiety and post-natal depression. And for me, when it was at its height, when something makes it worse, like a, a death of a family member or just something, you know, for me, it was uh, my divorce. And, and it became like so painful and I struggled so hard with like daily um, for quite a couple of years. I then became, it was so important for me to spread the message to people who are struggling that actually you can get through it. Um, you know, it might be, pain you know I always made sure I got out of bed I did the thing you know I just put my one foot in front of the other Mm. um you know there were times that were dark and there were tight and I just had to get through it and I was really lucky that I had some friends that really helped but now you know I'm really very aware of other people um if I see like especially with my kids and their friends like I'm very aware of like you know addiction or, or or just getting like certain things in place that help people um kind of overcome it and just get, have give people the confidence to um 
to build, you know, to have building blocks to, to get better and stronger. Mm. So I guess you get a certain amount of compassion and you see things and you sympathize. Whereas I remember when I was going through post-sittle depression and it was very, um, it, there was a huge stigma about it then because it was like, oh, well, you've got a beautiful baby, you've got a lovely house, you've got a lovely husband, you, yeah. you know. And I yeah. was like, yeah, but I cannot, I feel like I'm drowning. And you know, nobody would really, it, it was really difficult. People didn't really want to understand. And I just think, you have to kind of sympathize with people that are having those struggles. So in films as well, <clears throat> they can, you know, they can get the message across and, and it, you know, what two for joy worked with a lot of um, mental health groups as well. And we did lots of Q and A's, um, but it's just being aware and compassionate and helping and kind, mm. you know, people need to be kind. And, and there's a lot of like, you know, like, you know, I see like, you know, in, in, in my area, there's some homeless people or addicts and, and I've helped them. And then other people's reactions to, you know, to it, well, it's their fault. They're, you know, why are they taking drugs or why are they homeless? And you're like, oh my God, mm. do you not understand? But I grew up with addicts and I grew up being homeless. So I can understand like it can happen to anybody. And okay. I've been like somebody that's been shunned in a certain I think you know. as well, there was, there's always been a stigma attached to the words mental health, yeah. which is odd because when I say physical health, nobody thinks twice. Well, you yeah. come back to the gym or you've yeah. got a good diet. Everybody has mental health. We yeah. all have physical health. Where we lie on that spectrum will change from day to day and it will change from year to year. So for somebody to be stupid and naive enough to have any uh, apply stigma to somebody else dependent on the words mental health is ridiculous. We remember that all of our all of our chances, all of our opportunities in life for happiness are half chance mm. and everybody's is. So nobody is on top of one another and we're never on top of our health. We have to maintain it. So in order to kind of, an artist can uh, use it as an outlet to improve mental health. Mm. As a kid, I was an aggressive, angry kid. And it was only when I found that I had an outlet, an expression, um, in fact, it helped channel it. Some people may not need that. Some people may find exercise is a great, um, a great release for mental, uh, when mental health deteriorates. Um, so I do think there is a, a connection, but I don't think they go hand in hand. I just think that people that perhaps find an avenue to express better mental mm. health themselves and sometimes it's through creative platforms but it's also good to talk about it be, mm. make people aware the more now people are talking yeah. about it um you know you don't feel so alienated you know when people rung me up and they're like i'm having a panic attack what should i do you know i you know th you, we can all talk about it and, it and it's so much things are getting better um but it, it's just you know we, we just got to try and make this a kinder more compassionate world and keep the conversation going yeah. and you know i think half this the problem is that people for so long felt the stigma as sadie said attached mm. to the mental health it's not there's no problem with talking about it and you you have um sadie just um touched there briefly on on um not only the issues of mental health but also of homelessness and um uh you do an enormous amount of work as an ambassador for Centrepoint. Tell us um, how you got involved with that and, and what both you and they are, are currently trying to do. Um, so I, I think I'm, I, I, maybe around 10 years, I think I've, I've been um, an ambassador for Centrepoint. I am, um, you know, I've just always thought it was really wrong that anybody should be homeless and you people walking around, they don't even give any eye contact. I remember like actually at five years old, six years old, it was when in the days, you know, I've always lived in Chalk Farm, Bell's Park and 
I used to, you could, kids could just walk around. I used to walk to school on my own and I would walk around and there was a, a tramp that was just homeless living in Belsize Park Tube. And I became his friend. They, it was a tramp then, you know, you call them tramps, but now they're homeless people. And I used to take him food. And I, right from an early age, was very aware of people that were lonely and people that were homeless or didn't have things. So I would always be um, taking food and, and caring for them. So it was just something that was always in me. So then it was just the right thing to join um, up the center point. Um, and I just help a lot of local people as much as I can and um, raise awareness. Um, help kind of raise funds um, you know I think it's awful that um, you know for anybody you know coming you know from what, why they leave home this, I was very close recently to this boy who yeah, yeah. Um, for five years um, I've helped and looked after and when the pandemic happened I he lived outside short farm tube and I, I just knew that it was going to be even harder being a drug addict and being homeless and he ended up um, getting in, a, in, a, in, a, in an accident um, a few months, a month ago, but because it wasn't the support system. So we, you need charities like Centerpoint. And, 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 and I think a lot of the homeless people recently also got um, housed into the hotels that have been mm. um, empty. Um, but now I think they've all been told they, they have to leave, don't they? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not a solution. It's not an ongoing plan. Yeah. It's just clearing them out it's you know it's dreadful and you go to other european cities and of course you know some are far worse when you see children on the street there mm. is a saving grace here in london and the fact that i don't often see very young children yeah yeah um but as Sadie said you know she had this friend who i had the pleasure of meeting a few times a guy that was clearly struggling for no choice of his own and just had a bad footing and you know he passed recently from mm. an accident that mm. he got into on the street it's just yeah it's dreadful. and i just like every single person i see i just I, I i just kind of i think we all have to just think about every person who's there and you know and it's just stopping and having the time you know if not just you know trying to help somebody sporadically it's like you know engaging people because you know their souls are broken and, and nobody deserves to just be treated like that and, and you know, the whole world has to wake up and, and think about we have to respect every single human being and every sin single animal and mm -hmm. every, you know every soul and you know we, we've all got to try a bit harder i think we've all been on a bit of a treadmill yeah where we just go well it's fine it's fine it's not affecting me and it's fine yeah, yeah. yeah cool yeah I, i'm aware of this cause and yeah yeah it doesn't affect me it does because you are a part of the problem unless you're actively doing something to solve it. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. So we can all say, I'm not, um, I'm not racist. You know, this is a topic at the moment. That's fine, cool. But if you are silent towards the oppressor, unfortunately you're a, part, a big part of the problem, you know? Um, and that's, that's something that everybody's psyche around the world needs to get on board with a new outlook. Mm. Things are gonna have to change. And I think they are. Things are shifting. Have to. Just heartbreaking otherwise, you know. Mm. Well, there will be for anybody watching this, there will be uh, details in the description below about how you can um, help the work of, of uh, Centrepoint and um, find out more about uh, the work that they do. Yeah, they are a wonderful, wonderful charity. So, yeah, just definitely, um, if anybody watching this can support them, that, that would be great. Um, in terms of, of also um, sort of, helping uh, young artists during this current period, Ben, I know you've been doing some work with Brilliant Theatre Arts. Uh, 
and uh, and obviously Sadie, you have children. Your your children are very heavily involved in in creative work. Um, what sort of world do you see for the upcoming generation of artists? Do you, what sort of um, what so sort of industries do you think you'll have? They'll have to work in. Well, I mean, I think my my main thing was like just before the lockdown happened. Um, just looking around, my kids. You know, there's four of them, and they're all in the creative industry, and they've all got you know. 10, 20, 30 friends and all those people, you know, from 17 to uh, late twenties um, were all at the beginning, either at kind of school, uni, um, about to start jobs um, in the beginning of their careers. And they were all, you know, have worked so hard to get to a place and they've suddenly had their whole lives have had to be put on hold. Mm. And um, what I really respected and saw amongst, I would say like 20, 30, 40 young people is how well they did adapt because some of them have lost you know, haven't been able to do their a level some of them have um they were just about to do a tour of they'd worked all their lives to a tour you know to be a musician and their tour was cancelled or their film was cancelled or their first directing job was cancelled and you know i mean that's heartbreaking to see the fact that their future could be taken away and and what is going to happen like are people going to be doing live gigs you know next year our film's going to be able to um, film in the same way. Um, so for my my whole thing around, you know, th these kids and people has been helping with their mental health, you know, keep positive exercising, yeah. um, encouraging them. We did lots of little mini projects. Like we shot some little, because I was isolating with quite a few people because of my kids and their partners. So we were making little mini short films and I was interviewing them. And, um, and I just think it's just encouraging people and giving them hope to just that, things will move forward. And in fact, some people, and I've noticed it, have become more creative, like some yeah. of the music that's been written by um, my, one of my you know, sons and, and, uh, and, and my other son's a manager. So he's, he's um, seeing his artists record some brilliant stuff. And, you know, so some, it, you know, you just ha it was just encouraging people to be motivated and mm. saying there is hope and, you know, out of this, yes, it's awful. And there's a lot of suffering and a lot of bad things have happened, but you can, you know, good things can emerge. We're going to move out of this. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you said, even brilliant theatre arts, it's a platform that quickly adapted. In fact, Sadie had involvement with them as well and did a Q&A with a lot of their students because it's a platform that quickly adapted to see that these kids need nothing more than hope. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're stuck in your house for a while, but you can do stuff. Mm. You can still create. Mm. And, and it, you know, I, I think even speaking to some of these kids that I've been teaching, and that Sadie spoke with, it's quite clear that they're actually, their lives have simplified in a sense that their eyes are open a bit now and they can actually see things for what they are. And, you know, I mean, even me, I can sit in my garden and I can see myself staring at a, a flower for 10 minutes. Mm. Yeah. I didn't have the brain yeah. space or this, my speed was working at a different level to even pay attention to the beauty and creativity We've all got it in within us. And I actually think that when times like this come upon us, it's a great time for people to actually go, you know what, I can see the world for what it is and mm. find that energy inside of you. Artists will always survive. It's the liberal look at the world and the future and the hope and the possibility that we can, or people can inspire <coughs> others with. Mm. And in terms of, of work that is forthcoming, you're currently in, are you in post-production on Quant now? Or? Um, so basically we're editing and we're just waiting for the guidelines to um, emerge and next week we're trying to finish off the last few interviews 
then we can finish the edit, which will be by the end of the summer. Um, yeah, the film will be um, probably pushed back three months because we were hoping to get it for Berlin mm. and Sundance, which yeah. I don't know if now those festivals will be online. We might be able yeah. to um, submit it like work in progress because that would have been a great place, either Berlin or, or Sundance, to, to launch it. And then um, I'm just about yeah packaging these other films, just about to shoot a little short film that I'm going to direct. Um, Are you directing that one? Yeah, the one. Oh, great. Yeah. So exciting. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I've used it, this as a very creative time. And as, as Ben said, I, I was running like so fast from meeting to meeting all this hot air and blah, blah, blah. And then like, I've been able to sit back and just really appreciate the simple things. And there's still not enough time to do things. That I, there's so many mm. things that I want to do, but I can kind of have a better perspective and, and realize like, actually, cause what, what happened was, I guess a lot of us were really faced with our kind of, you know, mortality. And it's like, what do I want in my life? What don't I want? What career do I want to do? What friends do I want? You know, what is going to make, I need to live each day to make me the happiest. If it's going to end in, you know, my mind kind of went into complete cat catastrophe. Yeah, like, yeah, I you know, I remember and it. I was like, you know, so I've got to enjoy every day it has to be something that I do something that's for me and fulfilling. And I'm and and the whole kind of business and and we're all like so um, told to it's got to be about success and this and that and actually at the end of the day, like really we're that is just a big con because mm. that doesn't make you happy. Like what is happy is family and friends and of course you know and, and sharing food and doing nice things. But back to basics, you know back I don't basics. need any of that that a lot of that stuff. I'd rather just walk away from it if it's going to kind of create unhappiness. Um, so I definitely, you know, over the last few months, I've probably, there's been a quite a few, I've had lost about five friends, not in the pandemic time, not to COVID, you know, weirdly, like other things, you know, that have happened. Um, and, but I'm trying to find some inner peace um, and positivity just to go forward in my life, but to help other people. But you have to kind of, we can't all, you know, catastrophize and, you know, if everyone kind of went on, operated on that, vi you know, that level of vibration of just being all doom and gloom and depressed, I mean, we would just, it would, so we, there has to be some kind of buoyancy and positivity yeah. and excitement and hope. Um, otherwise, there's, you know, it's no point. I think within the dark cloud of COVID, there's a real glimmer of hope and light, which is, families have been able to spend some time together in some circumstances that perhaps didn't mm. have the opportunities before. Kids have had two months at least of breaks on, like let your brain wander now. What do you wanna, mm -hmm. what do, you wanna do? What excites you? And as Sadie said, to cut through the crap of what we're sold. Like I wonder how much people care when they're concerned about their grandfather's health, how much they care about Kim Kardashian's Instagram. <laughs> I think yeah. it's given people a brilliant perspective on really what life is about and mm. the smart ones are going to keep hold of that yeah and exactly. they are going to end up happy and that is success success is nothing more than finding inner happiness and making other people happy i've got i have had a couple of questions and i know we've only got a couple of minutes left but i'll so there are only a couple that I'll, I'll run through that have been sent in um the the first one uh, which is actually from my executive director who told me she would kill me if i didn't ask this question because she's a, a, a big uh, animal rescue person herself um you're both dog owners how big a part of your life are your animals and how do you name them 
Okay, interesting. I'll, I'll go first. So I've yeah, always loved dogs. I've got a, a dog. I don't know like um, how I name them, but I love naming things. So ch my children's names are very important and my dogs too. So I had Ringo who passed away last year and Rosie. We just got a dog this like two weeks ago called Dusty. So now me and my partner have four dogs together and a cat called Earl Grey. And I guess like <laughs> and I like coming. and yeah, I've got a little a dog called Ginger Rogers coming <laughs> in two weeks. So I wanted a little mini sausage dog. I've got a couple of rescues and then and then we've got Rosie's an old Bijon Frise who's like the queen mother. Um and you know, they they all sleep on my bed, on my head, which apparently means that they <laughs> They're always around you as yeah, well. Um, and um you know, I spend a lot of time on my own at home. Now the kids are growing up and, and I never feel lonely when I've got my animals. And, and the funny thing is in my house, like the dogs get on with a cat and there's also like a um, couple of birds, like little robins and a, um, a magpie and a blackbird. They all hang out with a cat as well. <laughs> so nobody seems to like touch wood, um, eat like each eat each other. <laughs> and they all, you know, the same. And I pretend I'm Snow White and I sing that little song. And I go, the little birds there and the cats there and the dogs and I'm like oh I'm Snow White <laughs> and I think that's why I feel like I'm Snow White. It's a pretty exciting yeah. answer. Mine's not as I've got a dog called Margot and that's because when I found her she um she had her legs crossed like this like she was really posh and she reminded me of Margot from The Good Life. Uh, <laughs> and it just kind of stuck. I was like you look like Margot from The Good Life. And I've got a beautiful little cat kitten called Cecil. Um, and I just thought, what a great name for a cat, yeah. little Cecil. Yeah. Um, and I think on my copy paper, there's a Cecil Beaton book. And mm. I was like, oh, that's a great mm. name. Um, but yeah, just, I, you know, I, I, love, I love animals. I think we all do. Don't trust anyone that doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Very, very important. And finally, what is the project? This is from Neil and Dundee. What is the project you've most wanted to do but haven't had time for yet? I don't know, like when I first started wanting to make films um, in the production company that I have now, I wrote, and I mean, you talked about this a lot, was it was a, a based on um, an area in Kentish Town, Chalk Farm, Queen's Crescent, which is, it was, um, it's, there's a, a, an estate there where some of my friends live and it was based on a friend who was a hairdresser who used to go around mm. and do the hair in different um, different um, apartments, and she basically took on everybody's like what she kind of found out so much information. Don't give too much the yeah, story yeah. away. Anyway, it's called Dirty <laughs> Hair. That's a film I want to make, and me and you yeah. want to make that, and that's going to be our it's next. It's constantly best. been on the back burner, and it's probably been quite a good thing because the, the premise that Sadie's come up with is quite strong. Yeah. So any other films and years that pass that we get better. Yeah, it's, so it's maybe, good, yeah. Because so one day we might smash it with that one. And now we need to just start thinking about getting it off the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's the next step. Well, Sadie Frost, Ben Charles Evans, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thank Anytime. you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Dark Unicorn in Conversation was written, presented, and edited by Paddy Cooper, who was speaking to Sadie Frost and Ben Charles Edwards. For more information on the work of Centrepoint, visit centrepoint.org.uk. Title music was by Curtis Batson. The show is executive produced on behalf of Dark Unicorn Productions Limited by Eleanor Stanton. Hi, thank you so much for joining us for our series of virtual in-conversation events. We are incredibly grateful to all of the creatives and artists who shared their time, their wisdom and their experience with us. 
It's easy to ask, in the face of a global pandemic, why do the arts matter? But the truth is that theatre is as old as civilization itself. It's a place where we learn, we explore, and we share our common humanity. It's a pressure valve for society, a safe space in which to explore dangerous ideas. And above all, it's entertaining. At Dark Unicorn Productions, we rely very heavily on the support of our wonderful patrons to continue our work. You can join them and become a patron of the arts yourself by joining our scheme, which starts at just £50 per year to become a Rainbow Unicorn. Be part of the Dark Unicorn family. Be part of the recovery and the future of theatre. Don't let the lights go out. Become a patron today. Thank you. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.